Well, good morning again. We chanted the Heart Sutra this morning, and there was a, a word that stuck out, stuck out uh, toward the end, and that word was hindrance. No hindrance in the mind, therefore no fear. No fear, no problem. Awakening our natural state. But we have things that get in the way. Hindrances, we call them. And we have been exploring those hindrances. Uh, attachment, aversion, attachment, aversion, boredom, restlessness, and doubt. Buddha, sitting under the bow tree over 2,600 years ago, faced hindrances, just as we do, sitting under these trees in this sendo, we confront hindrances just as Buddha did. When he was on the verge of enlightenment, I think I prefer the word awakening, enlightenment too seems too grandiose, but awakening seems doable, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it is doable. And so is enlightenment, but it sounds a little too, um, too ambitious. But awakening is, seems accessible, and that is what we, here we are. Our practice is the same as awakening. It practices enlightenment, as Dogen says. Just as he was on the verge of full awakening, this nasty god called Mara, the god of destruction and death, brought all of his resources to bear upon this moment when the Buddha was about to achieve full realization. And the first thing that Mara brought was what we could call attachment, one of the hindrances. He brought his whole slew of temptresses, beautiful women, music, dancing girls, you know, all the most luscious things that we could desire in our lives. Yeah, tempting. And this is a kind of classic story. Christ was also tempted in various ways, but Buddha came first. <laughs> so, so and, and this goes on constantly uh, throughout our spiritual journeys. There's all these temptations, all these distractions, all these things that we attach to. And Buddha sat there watching all of these lovely women and all this glorious music and all the things that might have pushed him off his seat. And he simply um, responded with, I, I see you, just with awareness. And he disappeared, disappeared. Well, Mara still had 
stuff in his quiver, you might say. And he brought forth aversion. He brought forth all of these monsters, demons, fearsome beings that might set Buddha into a state of panic or fear, push him off his cushion. And again, Buddha's response was, I see you. And all of these demons turned into flowers and they all sort of settled down right in front of him, a big heap of flowers, all these demons that were simply seen for what they were. Well, Mara had lost on two counts. It's not two strikes and you're out. It's one more strike for Mara. And he, you could say this was a Hail Mary <laughs> for Mara. He brought out the, the most challenging, the greatest challenge that Buddha would have to face. And what was that? Doubt. Doubt. And self-doubt. And I suspect, although I haven't really fully investigated this, um, that all doubt is self-doubt. That's just kind of hypothetical that I'm just putting out there. Because we tend to think we doubt things. We doubt this, we doubt that, we mistrust that. But I have the sense that it all goes back to self-doubt, doubting oneself. So basically, Mara was putting to, to Buddha, who do you think you are? You think you're gonna be awakened? That's not gonna happen. You know, you're not deserving. You're not competent. You're not worthy of being fully awakened. This, the challenging aspect of this doubt is that it doesn't like attachment and aversion. It doesn't seem to come from the outside. Yeah. These are all the temptations. These are all the fears that are assaulting me from the outside. But doubt is something that comes up from inside. And so it is, it's more challenging to address it completely and to dissipate it. So it's, am I worthy? Am I able to realize my full humanity? And what did Buddha do in response to this? Who do you think you are, Mara? Who do you think you are, Buddha, to think you can achieve this full realization? What did Buddha do? This is, this is, you may have seen the statues or the images of Buddha with his fingers touching the earth, right? This is called the Bhumi Sparsa Mudra. This is a mudra, touching the earth. Of course, one can make all sorts of interpretations about this, but what I'm offering today is this sense of confidence. You're going to, you know, cause me to 
to question my own Buddha nature, my own goodness, my own wisdom, my own perfection. I'm grounding myself right here. This is a grounding, this is a grounding mudra. We could say all the earth and all the, all the life forms are supporting Buddha in his enlightenment, in his awakening. But Buddha is also saying, I deserve to be here. This is my seat. This is, I'm not moving. I, I, I belong in this world. I belong in this seat. I belong as a fully realized human being. And I can be that. So it's an expression of confidence. In fact, I think it was um, Einstein who said that the only real question we have to answer in this life is whether the universe is friendly or not. Which is really an expression of trust. Do I trust myself? Do I trust the world? Is this a place where I belong, which I don't have to doubt in this deep way that I can trust? Can I trust myself? So Buddha's last words were also about this trust in relation to doubt. And these were, uh, there, there, are there are various accounts of what his last words were, but this is one of them. Be islands unto yourselves, refuges unto yourselves, seeking no external refuge with the Dharma as your island, the Dharma as your refuge. Seek no other refuge. And then he is reported to have said, work out your own salvation with diligence. Now I'm going to kind of reformulate that because salvation in the sense that we generally think of, that, of it in a Judeo-Christian sense was not part of Buddha's approach. I mean, it's not like I need to be saved. I, you know, I need, I need to be forgiven for my sins. Uh, this is not part of Buddhist practice. Um, I'm going to say, work out your own liberation with instead of diligence, which sounds again a little bit, a little bit militaristic, um, although it's definitely required. <laughs> diligence is definitely required. I'm going to use the word care. So work out your own liberation with care. Well, how do we work out our own liberation unless we have 
confidence in ourselves, right? I mean, we've, we've got to do it. So self-doubt isn't going to help us uh, working out what we need to do to be liberated. So our lineage holder, Kobanchino Roshi, said, said, said as much. Uh, he claimed that this practice will not have any effect unless you can rid yourself of self-doubt. That unless you believe as Buddha did, that you can and will and are worthy of liberation, your practice is meaningless because it has to it has to it has to root itself in yourself you are the authority so i'm going i want to talk about two kinds of doubt and the first one is the one that we've kind of been speaking about which is what i'm going to call obstructive doubt doubt which gets in the way of our liberation and our practice, which is self-doubt. One of the things that I've noticed in our Sangha and sort of generally, but on our song, in our Sangha in particular, is that there is a profound distrust of one's own ability to find what is true, what is real, and what practice is. That sometimes this is called the cult of expertise. That somehow we don't think we have the ability, the knowledge, the understanding, the experience, to know what is true and real and what is right and wrong, that we have to consult an expert like me. I'm no expert. I'm still practicing. <laughs> you know, I'm still doing it myself. I sometimes think about myself as walking along with everybody, just holding a flashlight. But <laughs> I'm not ahead. I'm just with you, but you know, kind of looking around as we go. But there is a sense that we can't trust ourselves, that we doubt uh, our, our worth. And this comes from a deep place of something is wrong with me. There's something, something. I may not be able to say what it is, but I know there's something wrong. Well, that is baloney. There is nothing wrong with you. And you have to get that. You've got to get that, this going, you know, before you can really practice with enthusiasm and, and with effect. So 
it's it's in our practice we we trust our direct experience direct experience it's like i'm from missouri show, is it missouri show me um show me yeah it's it's not about books it's not about dharma teachers it's not about podcasts it's not about the whole and buddha said this you know don't rely on authority just because they have a bib work it out for yourself and in order to do that you have to trust yourself and trust your direct experience and a lot of what we do in the zendo is about direct experience when we light the incense this is smoke and fragrance but some people want to know why do we light incense they want a narrative around it forget the narrative this is just what it is it's direct hmm. Hmm. what does that mean it doesn't mean anything it's just it's this it's direct experience you know what does bowing mean it means touching your head on the floor and feeling that just what does it mean it doesn't mean anything really it's that direct sense of that connection you're going down and you're putting your head on the floor bowing just place your palms together feel that hear the bell just hear the bell right it's direct it doesn't it doesn't have any great significance but we're looking for it we're looking for it so we can find things to question to to doubt so we're constantly interfering with our direct experience i love the story of this is a great illustration of this a young girl 7 years 7 8 years old is having breakfast every morning with her mom who happens to teach at the university and every morning the mom brings all her materials together uh to prepare for her lectures and one morning the little girl says to her mother um what do you do every day where are you going every day with all this stuff and her mother says well i i teach people at the university i teach them how to draw how to paint how to make things with clay and paper and and the little girl looks up at her mother and says you mean they forgot <laughs> Yeah, they forgot. Why did they forget? Doubt. I'm not an artist. I'm not a painter. I'm not a poet. I'm not Those are the experts. You know how to draw. You know how to paint. But you forgot. How did you forget? Doubt. 
doubt. Pluck, pluck, pluck the doubt in and immediately you're separated from all of your fullness, all of the fullness of your creativity and of your possibilities and including liberation. Only doubt that comes between you and that. So this doubt um, comes in into your practice. How does it come into your practice? <clears throat> when you first start practicing, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. I mean, 2,600 years of teachings and all the sutras and all the text, you know, all the terminology and all the forms that people do and all these, you know, stages, it's just overwhelming. I just can't do that. It's not possible. Doubt can make you give up. Doubt can make you give up. In the middle stages of when you've practiced maybe for a couple of months, years, probably years, you kind of reach a plateau. <laughs> and Practice has lost its novelty, you know? And maybe you've already told everybody that you're a Zen Buddhist and they don't want to hear it. <laughs> you don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, and so it's kind of lost its shine. It's just kind of slow erosion of your practice. Some of us know this. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really gung-ho initially, but I don't know. Other things kind of crept in and it's kind of lost its power. And that is doubt. I can never regain that. You know, that is, here you are, you know, trying to regain it <laughs> or never having lost it in some way. But it can lead you to just get off your cushion like Buddha, you know, just also you've been away from it for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get back onto this cushion. Uh, it's like, give up. <laughs> you know, I'm not able to do this. Uh, I've just lost it. And then, of course, when you reach a stage, maybe, and I'm speaking for myself, of 40 years of more of practice, <laughs> uh, and then it's the great, great doubt. The capital G-R-E-A-T doubt, which is, have I spent my life, <laughs> have, I, have I spent my life doing something that is completely useless? <laughs> what is, you know, I have invested 40 some odd years <laughs> in this practice doing, teaching the Dharma, practicing Dharma. And what has it got me? <laughs> you know, wow. You know, it's time to move to the Bahamas <laughs> you know, and just enjoy life. <laughs> Forget this Dharma practice, you know, what a waste. <laughs> yeah. So then it's a really big thing. Um, 
that's a kind of, it can be a crisis of uh, a, a doubt, which really can destroy a whole life's work. So this mudra, Bhumi Sparsa, is, can only be done by you. Now, I can show it. But it can only, it has to come through you into the, into the floor, into the earth, grounding. You belong to this practice. You belong to those who are liberated. You belong to this complete realization and relief of suffering. The other kind of doubt I'm calling investigative doubt, which is a very healthy doubt. And it's a doubt that's important to our practice. And it's, uh, it's about um, not, not this yes, but, it's not about the but, it's about what, what? It's a curiosity doubt. It's, what is that? What am I feeling? Is what I'm believing true? Is what I'm doing good? We do not, as um, I think it's Plato uh, said, we do not need to tell anyone to tell us what's good and bad. We know, but doubt interferes. So our practice here is sitting on this cushion, wondering, hmm, I wonder whether what I believe is a fixed idea, like there's this great, um, myth of Procrustes, the Procrustes bed, have you heard about it, where I don't know the full narrative, but this fellow Procrustes has a bed, an iron bed, and he runs an inn. And everyone who comes to his inn gets to sleep in the bed, but not everybody fits the bed. So what does Procrustes do? If they're too short for the bed, he stretches them. And if they're too long for the bed, he cuts his, their head or feet off. So this is about fixed ideas. Something comes to your inn, to your, to your, you know, uh, your world, and it doesn't fit your bed. It doesn't fit your preconceptions. It doesn't fit your your belief system. It doesn't fit your preferences. And so you just start cutting it off, you know? So it does fit. And this is not what we do in our practice. So we, something comes into our world and it doesn't fit, instead of saying, you know, I doubt that, uh, we say, what? What is this? Who comes here? You know, let's sit down and have a cup of tea. Let's, let's see what you're about. 
So it's the doubt of curiosity, not accepting things for what they just appear to be or what our fixed ideas have led us to believe they are. And so this kind of doubt actually keeps our practice alive because what can happen when we express this confidence in ourselves, it can become arrogance. I'm a Zen Buddhist. I, I got the truth. I know, I know. I know it all. That, that needs to be doubted. <laughs> Every time your confidence results in arrogance, I'm better than you because I know more, I'm more experienced, I'm the expert, that has, that has to be doubted. And that's what keeps our practice alive that kind of curiosity, that kind of doubt. We do, not, we do not settle into dogma. But we do, in response to the obstructive doubt and ultimately to the investigative doubt, is we, as maybe as Buddha did, turn everything, turn all of that into flowers and just say, yes, great doubt. Have I wasted my life? Is this practice worth it? Yes. <laughs> you know, was it Nancy uh, Reagan who said, just say no? Just say yes. Just say yes. Bow, light incense, sit on your cushion, be immovable. Just say yes, but not with this rigid rigidness, but playfully, yes, provisionally, because some guest who comes and doesn't fit in your bed, even non-Buddhist things, may need to be examined, may need to be explored. So it's always, yes, I'm doing this, but playfully. I'm not taking it too seriously, but I'm really doing it. Because, you know, when we play, I play really seriously. We're really serious at play, but we know it's all play. We're all open to being surprised. So, as we've said, hindrances, doubts, self-doubts, can make you give up something that is so profoundly helpful, liberating, true. So here the doubt, as we say, is not in the way it can be the way that doubt can actually lead you further into liberation.
not be an obstruction, not be a hindrance. So we need to begin to recognize the doubt that is obstructive and the doubt that is investigative, curious, one precipitates wonder and further exploration. And that's what we're doing right here on these cushions. Nobody is here to help you. You are on your own on that cushion. And a lot of people can't stand it. But it's an opportunity to take back your seeing, your own seeing, to take back your own hearing, to take back your own sensing, to take back your own intuition, your own goodness and your own wisdom. That's what this gives you the opportunity to do. So take advantage of it. <laughs>